Jesus tells us to baptize. He says, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Some Christians sprinkle water, some dunk in a pool, river, or lake. In each of these ways, the church obeys Jesus's command. But it is Jesus who removes your sin and transforms you. Baptism illustrates our salvation in Jesus in baptism, we are identified with Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. As the water washes over us, we realize our old, broken, sinful self has been put to death and raised to new life. Join pastors Kirk Sexton and Bruce Johnson as we discuss the forgiveness of sins as we continue to look at the Apostles' Creed. Welcome to the Full Dig Podcast. I am Pastor Kirk Sexton, and with me, as always, is my good friend and colleague, Pastor Bruce Johnson. Good to be with you again, Kirk. I know. it's it's uh, This is a good thing that we do on Mondays. And today, it's kind of Monday morning quarterbacking. I preached the sermon. Now I'm going to talk about the same thing. That's It's somewhat redundant, it well, seems. I'm anxious to talk to you about it because I listened to it twice, and um, I'm, I'm anxious to talk about it. Well, it's an important topic, the forgiveness of sins. I mean, if I've had the conversation once with someone, I've had it a hundred times, people mm -hmm. that just have a difficult time believing that God is really able to forgive them. Right. And and I, I've had that conversation with many people who who say they're Christians and, and they, they just have a hard time accepting this grace, this free gift of God, this forgiveness. So to get into that topic, because it's one of the, lines of the Apostles' Creed, and this whole series of sermons is on the Apostles' Creed. Mm -hmm. We looked at Psalm 103, yeah, which is a, a great text about God's forgiveness. It is a great text, and I thought you did a great job of preaching it, because I've, I've struggled in my preaching on trying to preach a psalm. Right, which is very much about heart and feeling and of course, there are lyrics of, of music, so it's it's artsy in some ways, um, great art. Well, and like but, Psalm one hundred three is, it's got a lot of, lot of content too. So it's, it's kind of hard to focus on one thing too. Uh, you did a good job on that. Well, thank you, thank yeah. you. Well, should we read that text today? Yeah, uh, yeah let me do that. All correct. right. So this is the first 14 verses of Psalm 103. Mm. Praise the Lord, my soul. All my inmost being, praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives your sins and heals all your diseases, redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion, who satisfies your desires with good things, so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his deeds to the people of Israel. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love towards those who fear him. 
as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows how we are formed. He remembers that we are dust. Such a great text. I remember uh, I did a memorial service, and that was uh, one of the text that uh, was read at that memorial. It was very moving. Yeah. The greatness of God's love and grace for us Mm. and why it's important to remember that. Well, you also did a good job of promoting the podcast. Yes. uh, You you mentioned... uh, on uh, on both in the uh, in the traditional and in the contemporary that they should tune in to the podcast to hear more about this idea of of baptism and its relationship to forgiveness. Yes, because it's something that's I thought unusual when I came across so many of the early Christian commentators were talking. Well, Psalm one hundred three. Well, that's talking about baptism. I thought, what? Where are they getting that? But when you think about it, there are a lot of texts in the New Testament that connect baptism with the forgiveness of sin. So I put them in a couple of categories here just so that you and I can talk about them and and, uh, try to, between the two of us, try to make sense of this. Mm -hmm. So one of the first is from the Sermon of St. Peter on the day of Pentecost. This is from Acts chapter 2, verse 38. Peter says to them, Uh, This is in response as the people hear his sermon. They say, well, what do we do about all this? And Peter's response to that question is, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, so that your sins may be forgiven and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. So uh, it's not saying get baptized and they'll be saved. It's not quite that. It's repent, be baptized, uh, every one of you, uh, in the name of Jesus Christ and your sins will be forgiven. It's, it's a whole package, but, but definitely tying in baptism, repentance, and the forgiveness of sins. Mm. And then other texts talk about how um, we are united in Christ's death through baptism. Our union with Christ is a theme that runs throughout the New Testament. You have different ways that it's expressed. And one of those ways it's expressed is how we are united in Christ's death by baptism. It's, it's like a... Uh, a symbolic way that we go down into the grave and they are raised to newness of life. Mm. So an example of that is in Galatians chapter 3 where it says, For in Christ Jesus you are all children of God through faith. As many of you as were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. It's like we've, we've put on the, the mantle of Christ, the, uh, the coat of Christ, the mm. overcoat of Christ. And then in Romans chapter 6, the same sort of imagery is used. Do you not know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we are buried with him in baptism into death, so that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we might also walk in newness of life. For we have been united with him in a death like his. We will certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. Hmm. So... This wonderful, mysterious language of, of being united deeply with Christ, mm-hmm. and that's tied with baptism. It's mm-hmm. tied with other things as well, but mm-hmm. certainly the connection between um, us and Christ is reinforced in the act of baptism. 
Yes, it's the idea of us being submersed in the water and then ris- risen to new life. So death is that submersion and the raising of the person out of the water is the new life, the resurrection. And a great time to talk about uh, for Presbyterians, the mode of baptism is not significance, the baptism itself. So mm-hmm. we could uh, do full water immersion. We could pour water on somebody. We could uh, sprinkle water. And it's all the same thing. Mm-hmm. It's not the mode that's significant in Presbyterian it's thinking. The, it's the symbol. It's the the sign of a greater reality. That's right. I mean, I, I suppose we could go with, get a uh, jackhammer and use that in the sanctuary and or in Meredith Hall and get a big pool and have one available. I think we should just get one of those big metal tanks, you know, that they... Uh, a stockman tank. A stockman tank, yeah. Yes, yeah, like they use for cattle, watering yeah. cattle. Yeah. You know, we could wheel it in and <laughs> that would be awesome. Yeah. But but certainly that's the imagery of, of, oh, of yeah. being buried, like going under the water, then coming up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then Jesus, of course, talks about... Uh, the water uh, and the newness of life and the and new birth. Uh, one of these is in John 3. Jesus answers Nicodemus, Verily, truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the Spirit. So some people say that water, that means like a natural birth, but uh, um, many other Christian thinkers and writers would say, well, that's the water of baptism. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then uh, also being baptized in um the Spirit of God, mm-hmm. or in First or in, excuse me, Titus chapter three, verse five, uh, we read, "He God saves us not because of any works of righteousness that we have done, but according to His mercy, through the water of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit." So we are saved, saved by grace, and Christians say, "Well, a, a sign and the seal of that, of course, is that." the waters of baptism. And that sign and seal is one of the phrases that's been used in Reformed language to talk about this. Right, yes. So we could go into other scriptures, but but it's clear in the New Testament there's this connection between repentance, faith, God's forgiveness of us, uh, and baptism. It's all, all tied in together in thinking. But I think we can make a case in these texts that we looked at that it's not in itself salvific, you know, that it doesn't save us alone. Right, right. Only Jesus saves. Right. Yeah, but it's a sign and seal of that. It's uh, it's something like when you officially graduate from um, high school or college, you're officially graduated, but then they give you a piece of paper or you go have a ceremony. Mm-hmm. Well, when are you officially graduated? Right. Well. Is it when the transcript is written? Is what when the uh, registrar of the school says, "Okay, you've done it. We can sign off on everything." Mm-hmm. Is it when the president of the school or the principal of a school gives you a piece of paper? What is it? Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's you can get in this chicken and egg type thing. Yeah, I used to explain it to our youth who were in confirmation class that it was it's a sign in that. You know, you're you're driving down the road, you and your family, you're going to Disneyland, right? Right. And you see this big, great big sign. It says Disneyland, you know, turn right, right? Well, you don't stop at the sign. 
and go, wow, this is really great, you know. No, you continue on because the sign only is pointing us to, which is that greater reality, which is Disneyland, you know, being at the park and experiencing that. Yeah, and of course, nowadays you, you can't turn right because if they first you have to go be directed to where the parking structure is, and then you can park, and then you can go into Disneyland. Right, so that's when my... My whole analogy falls apart. Oh, it all falls apart. And I also talk about in uh, the idea of the seal being like, uh, you know, God, assuming he has this big signet ring and he puts it in the wax. And it's all those promises of God that have been sealed in this, uh, in this act, in this, in this baptism. So we're really searching for a different symbols, imagery that can explain something that's mysterious. God's great love for us is mysterious. God's grace for us is mysterious. It's good and true. It's life-changing. But um, we we need images. We need poetry. We need song mm-hmm. to talk about that, which is maybe another reason why early Christians liked Psalm 103 and all the imagery there as a way of talking about baptism. Well, and I think that's kind of the way it is with all our sacraments. Yes. Because there is a certain mystery there. And I think, uh, isn't sacrament itself uh, a word that comes from mystery? I don't know about that. I don't know. Sacramentum? You're asking me questions I don't know. I thought you would know that. You think I know everything. I do not know everything, Kurt. (laughs) I get this from my kids at home. I I don't need this from YouTube. Well, I'm sorry. Um, But we also see that there is a connection between our being forgiven and how we forgive others, too. Yeah, very important in Scripture, very important to Jesus. He talks about this again and again and again. I did not have time to go over that in uh, my sermon on Sunday, but a very important thing. What what are some of the Scriptures that come to mind, Kirk, when you think about connecting God's forgiveness of us and our forgiveness of others? Well, the Matthew 6 text comes to mind first to me is uh, uh, Matthew 6, uh, verse 14 through 15 says, For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. And Jesus says that in Matthew chapter 6, right after he gives the Lord's Prayer. Mm. The Lord's Prayer, of course, has that phrase, uh, forgive us our Debt says we forgive our debtors. Right. Give us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Right. Yeah, so that's a very strong wording there to uh, really encourage us to be forgivers because of how much we've been forgiven and the fact that it sounds like from that text that if we don't, we won't be forgiven. Right, and Jesus is serious about this. He mm-hmm. talks about other examples. You know, if you're praying or in the temple praying and you remember, oh, wait a minute, I haven't really made peace with somebody. Hmm. says, well, stop what you're doing, go make peace with them and come back. Well, in in Paul's, uh, you know, in the words of institution, he kind of goes into this idea that, hey, we should be examining ourselves before we come to this table. We shouldn't have anything that holds, um, you know, we shouldn't have any grudges or, or sin that, like, would prevent us from being in communion with our brothers and sisters. So tying in that forgiveness, not with baptism, but with uh, the other sacrament mm. that Jesus gave us, communion. Yeah, That's a whole sermon, isn't it? Really? It is. It is. It's the, a, uh, the idea of these connections to our sacraments. Yeah. Uh, f- 
So forgiveness in itself is very sacramental in terms of it. We become more like Christ mm. as we forgive. Yeah. Just like we are united with Christ in, in the sacraments too. Mm. Yeah. Pretty deep, deep well, stuff on this well, podcast. I, I know it. I know it. There's a lot to, uh, to talk about in this area of uh, forgiveness. And as we started out, I think it's something people struggle with. So. It is. So uh, hopefully we've given them in the sermon on Sunday a few things to think about in terms of uh, scriptures that can be used Mm -hmm. uh, that are helpful when people have a struggle with, does God really forgive me? Yeah. So I gave them two texts. So one was uh, John Mm 3.16 that we know very well. Right. For God so loved the world that he gave us his one and only son, that whosoever believes in him need not perish but have eternal life. You can particularize that or personalize that and say to your friend that's struggling with forgiveness, well, all the world, that includes you. Mm-hmm. God so loved you, Kirk, right, right. that he gave his one and only son. And the other chapter to use for the, that, talking with people that struggle with forgiveness, is not John chapter 3, but Lamentations chapter yes, 3. Yes, and that's where you use the the very now famous dad joke. Yes, one of the worst dad jokes in the world. Yes. <laughs> if the prophet Jeremiah opened a candy store in France, what would it be called? Laments. Laments. <laughs> to help, help people remember it's Lamentations chapter 3. Yeah, but I think um, you said that that was a text that you go to as, uh, as a helper, right? Yeah, well, Lamentations is a great book. It's written... Um, uh, Jeremiah's lament because the temple in Jerusalem was destroyed by the Babylonians in 586 BC. Mm-hmm. And he talks about all, how horrible an experience that was. And in the midst of this very structured poem in Hebrew, there's hope. Mm. And one of the places of hope is in verses uh, 30 and 31 from Lamentations uh, chapter 3, which says, For no one is cast off forever by the Lord. Though he brings grief, he will show compassion. So great is his unfailing love. Mm. That's a verses 31 and 32 of Lamentations chapter 3. So it's all about who God is yeah. and the quality of God's love, not the quality of our repentance or our own lamentations for the things we've done wrong. Mm, very good. Well, we've uh, each week had a feature related to uh, archaeology. And what do you have for us today? Well, I have something that comes up in every mummy movie. I know it. <laughs> every mummy movie has some curse that you're dealing with, right? Uh, apparently, I have to be, become more uh, attentive to my mummy movies. <laughs> every mummy movie has a curse. Okay. And so, you know, we're talking about uh, being forgiven by God, eternal forgiveness. So right. what's the opposite of that? It's eternal curses. Right. <laughs> and the pharaohs were really big on these eternal curses. So we found these uh, texts that we call execration texts. And what they are are curses that were written out. Uh, many of them are written out on um, uh, clay tablets that were shaped like a bound prisoner. Mm. Or sometimes they're done on bowls or other uh, tablets of clay or stone. And you have them all, all these cities and these rulers of cities that had offended the pharaoh or the pharaoh was about to go into battle against. Right. And so uh, you'd write all this out, and it's kind of like um, sympathetic magic. It's like a voodoo doll. You know, what happens to the text is going to happen to Pharaoh's enemies. Right, right. So you, 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 you write it all out, you read it all out, 
and then you smash the tablet, you smash it to bits, and then you store that in some sacred place, a tomb or a temple or whatnot. And we found these, and you can put them together. These are all from the mainly the Middle Bronze period. Okay. But they're great for looking at what cities existed in this period of time, and that's why they're studied so much. And, and the it, rulers, too, they're named in those uh, curses, too, so you get to know, you can kind of piece together who was... Who was the king or who was the ruler in another part of the ancient Near East, I guess? So it's from one of these execration texts that we have the earliest mention of Jerusalem Mm. outside of the Bible. Uh, So let me read you that uh, quotation from an execration text. It's the name of Jerusalem, all the rulers of Jerusalem, and then every curse they could think of uh, hurled at the the city and the rulers there. The ruler of Jerusalem, Yakir Amu, with all of his retainers who were with him. The ruler of Jerusalem, Sedjah, Aim, and all of his retainers who were with him. To them, every evil word, every evil speech, every evil slander, every evil thought, every evil plot, every evil fight, every evil quarrel, every evil plan, every evil thing, all evil dreams and all evil slumber. Kind of sums it up. They're very serious about this. They take their curses very, very seriously. <laughs> so are are they saying that this uh, ruler in Jerusalem had had done these things? Is is no, that no, it? not that not that he has done these things. He want they all want these things to happen to him. to him. Yes, so they do this, and just for extra measure, the um, priest would 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 defecate on these things before he smashes. I mean, it's, it's really, really, yeah, it's more than you want to know, but it just really say this is, yes. That, that, um, I'm sorry, but that, that shocks me a little bit, but yes, I guess, uh, it's, I mean, really bad. If this was to befall someone, this is, this was, this is a terrible thing. Yes. And hence they're called execration texts. Execration. Yes. Is excrement. It, yes. Excrement. Yes, yes. There you go. Yeah. They, no. they never get into no, that in the, the mummy movies, do they? Never. But, no. But this is what they would do. Yeah. Well, the so, next movie, Mummy Might. So you can actually reverse <laughs> this. And it, I'll take this curse and say, God is doing the exact opposite of this. It's every good word, mm. every good speech, every good testimony. Mm. Every good thought, every good plot, every good struggle, mm. every good victory, every good plan, every good thing, every good dream, every good slumber. Mm. That's what God gives us in his eternal forgiveness of us. That's great. Well, each week we've also looked at the eco-confessional standards And we've looked at the Heidelberg Catechism and the Westminster Catechism. The first we have is the Heidelberg Catechism, question 56. says, what do you believe concerning the forgiveness of sins? And the answer is, for the sake of Christ's reconciling work, God will remember my sins no more, nor the sinfulness with which I have to struggle all my life long but he graciously imparts to me the righteousness of Christ so that I may never be condemned. Great, clear, straightforward, uh, without a chance of misunderstanding that God really will forgive you. It's done. Put a fork in it. I love it. Yeah. That is a good one. 
So the Heidelberg Catechism says that, and the Westminster Larger Catechism has a similar uh, short, clear statement. Why don't you read that one again also, Kirk? All right. Question 194 says, What do we pray for in the fifth petition? In the fifth petition, which is forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, acknowledging that we and all others are guilty both of original and actual sin and thereby become debtors to the justice of God, and neither we nor any other creature can make the least satisfaction for that debt. We pray for ourselves and others that God of his free grace would, through the obedience and satisfaction of Christ, apprehended and applied by faith acquit us both from the guilt and punishment of sin. Accept us in his beloved, continue his favor and grace to us, pardon our daily failings, and fill us with peace and joy in giving us daily more and more assurance of forgiveness, which we are the rather emboldened to ask and encouraged to expect when we have this testimony in ourselves that we, from the heart, forgive others their offenses. So those are two statements written for adults. Then when you come to the Westminster Shorter Catechism, written for children, it begins to break things down. It's more like a recipe. Mm. What does this ingredient mean? And what's the next ingredient? And so on. It's done a little bit differently. Just, uh, again, the, the... intent is that we would not be confused about, has God really forgiven us or not? And and so they want to break it down for children. So this is from the Westminster Shorter Catechism, beginning with question 82. Is anyone able perfectly to keep the commandments of God? The answer, no, mere human, since the fall, is able in this life perfectly to keep the commandments of God, but daily breaks them in thought, word, and deed. So then the next question is, are all transgressions of the law equally heinous? And the answer is, some sins in themselves and by reason of several aggravations are more heinous in the sight of God than others. For instance, uh, jaywalking uh, is a a crime, but uh, first-degree murder is a more serious crime. Mm -hmm. And there are sins, not uh, laws of uh, governments, but sins against God that are more heinous than others just because, you know, more hurt is caused by them, mm-hmm. right? And then I ask, what does every sin deserve? To so say, okay, so some sins may be more severe than others, but what do all sins deserve? And the answer there is, every sin deserves God's wrath and curse, both in this life and that which is to come. Mm-hmm. So what do you do about that? Question mm-hmm. 85 is, what does God require of us that we may escape his wrath and curse due to us for sin? And the answer, to escape the wrath and curse of God due to us for sin, God requires of us faith in Jesus Christ, repentance unto life, and the diligent use of the outward means by which Christ communicates to us the benefits of redemption. Okay, so next question, what is faith in Christ? Mm -hmm. Faith in Christ is a saving grace by which we receive and rest upon him alone for salvation, as he has offered us in the gospel. Again, that emphasis on it's what Christ has already done for us. That's... What makes a difference? Mm. And then next question, 87, what is the repentance unto life? Repentance unto life is a saving grace by which a sinner out of a true recognition of sin 
and apprehension of the mercy of God in Christ does with grief and hatred of this sin turn from it unto God with full purpose of and an endeavor after new obedience. So it can't just be play acting. If you're going to turn to God, you have to be serious about it. Mm -hmm. If you're going to have faith in Christ, you have to be serious about that. You have to have a contrite heart. Right. You know, you see this um, raising children. You know, uh, you see kids that learn, oh, if I say I'm sorry, that's all it takes. No, you, you have to mean that you're sorry. Right, right. We, uh, we want you to say it, but it's not just going through the motion. In mm. uh, question 88, what are the outward means by which Christ communicates to us the benefits of redemption? The answer, the outward and ordinary means by which Christ communicates to us the benefits of redemption are his ordinances, especially the word, sacraments, and prayer, all which are made effectual to the elect for salvation. So again, tying in faith, the sacraments, the prayer, the word of God all together. Very good. Well, each week we've been looking at a new apostle, and this week we're looking at Simon the Zealot. What do you remember about the Zealots? What do you recall about the Zealots? Well, Who are they? Zealot means zeal, so they were... I think they are zealous about their anti. Well, they they were they were Hebrews. They wanted to be sort of pure in that and not have the uh, influences of these pagans. Um, the Romans, the usurpers, Romans, yeah, the occupiers, right? right. And yeah. uh, they didn't like them desecrating their holy sites and such. Exactly, the Romans had different symbols. You know, they worshipped. Uh, pagan gods and goddess, goddesses. They had uh, symbols of the Roman eagle and other things that um, were not allowed into the holy city of Jerusalem and into the temple area. So they're all very passionate about that. And of course, some of the zealots became assassins trying to knock off Roman dignitaries to try to drive Rome out of Judea. So it wasn't um, in the last season of The Chosen, wasn't that... One of those, uh, was that Simon the Zealot? The Simon guy that, the Zealot, yeah. He was like really skilled at uh, uh, fighting and warfare, it seemed. Right, and he was uh, in the Chosen TV series. He was chosen to be one of the Sakari, that part of the Zealots that became assassins. Mm. And they were carried special daggers to do that. And the ancient sources talk about that. Right. So Simon the Zealot that became one of the 12 apostles. Hmm. He came out of that whole mindset and his time with Jesus changed him. Hmm. Was the chosen, you know, they kind of made him out to, what did you call him? A, a, a Sakari. A Sakari. Um, is there any, any biblical uh, sort of uh, foundation for that? Or, or are they kind of reading between the lines? Uh, you know, the chosen is they do take license with a few things. You they know. try to develop the characters, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, so we, we don't have any uh, evidence that Simon the Zealot uh, became uh, an assassin, one of the Sakari. Sakari is a Greek for dagger men, mm -hmm. is what it means. Oh, and, okay. and they, uh, we know from other ancient sources outside the Bible that the, these assassins, this um, particular part of the Zealots, I carried daggers. It's, it still was a great storyline. <laughs> yeah. For sure. 
Well, what else do we know about uh, Simon? Anything else? Uh, well, very little of him is described in the New Testament. We have some um, later traditions about him that he evangelized with St. Jude mm. uh, and went out in, in different regions um, in Egypt and Persia and Armenia. And there's a tradition that he was martyred by being sawn in half. And so in the yeah. iconography of um, the 12 apostles, sometimes you look for Simon the Zealot, and he's shown with a saw. Really? Uh, to indicate that's how he was martyred for his faith. That's crazy. It is crazy. It, it's crazy that uh, all of those early followers of Jesus, so many of them uh, died willingly rather than renounce Jesus. Right. Uh, great inspiration to us to to persevere in our faith, right? Even when things are difficult. Hmm. Well, that's very good. We have also looked each week at a quote from C.S. Lewis. What did you find for us this week? Well, there's a sermon that C.S. Lewis preached called "On Forgiveness," hmm. and it's most famous for a line near the end of it that says, "To be a Christian means to forgive the in- inexcusable." because God has forgiven the inexcusable in you. Mm. And in that sermon, uh, uh, we have Lewis talking about the fact that what we really want is not forgiveness. We want to be excused. We Mm. want to say, I'm sorry, but, and they give all our excuses. Mm -hmm. And Lewis goes on and on and says, well, that's that's not forgiveness. That's (laughs) rationalization. Yeah. You know, what what a lousy saying, I'm sorry, that is. And and we've all experienced that from people that will say they're sorry, but then they give us all the excuses for that. Mm -hmm. So Lewis says, forgiveness is really, I'm sorry I was wrong, without any of those excuses thrown in. Mm. A very important thing for us to remember. We have done things that are inexcusable. And God forgives that. And we are told to forgive the inexcusable in others because God has forgiven the inexcusable in us. Mm. Yeah. Well, I have our reform quote today, and it comes from our good friend, uh, J.I. Packer, again. You like J.I. Packer. Well, I like this book. Yes. It's good. Uh, Growing in Christ. It's uh, it's. It's an easy read for anyone to, to pick up, and uh, and it does a nice job of exposition. Is that what the word is? Exposition on the uh, uh, Apostles' Creed. That is a fine word to use, as yeah. a matter of fact, yeah. So he says in here, and I, th- I just thought this might be good for your, you and I to talk about. He says, Paul in Romans and Galatians and the Reformers after him spoke of justification, rather than of forgiveness. This is because justification is forgiveness plus. It signifies not only a washing out of the past, but also acceptance and the gift of a righteous man's status for the future. Also, justification is final, being a decision on which God will never go back. And so it is the basis of assurance, whereas present forgiveness does not necessarily argue more than temporary forbearance. So justification, a public acquittal, and reinstatement before God's judgment seat is actually the richer concept. It's like uh, being given a clean slate. Well, what are you going to do now? Hmm. Something that you're worried about, that troubled you, it's all taken care of. Okay, so we've, we've cleared that off the table. What will you do now? What kind of life will you lead? Hmm. And uh, that's 
a good question for us. Mm. Once we grasp that we've really been forgiven by God, what do we do now? Mm. Well, God wants us to have this rich, deep relationship with him. God loves us. We've been talking about forgiveness, but God really loves us. We really bring joy to Almighty God, Mm. who we are, our lives, and our love for him and our love for others brings joy to God. Mm. So uh, you have to not just stop with forgiveness, but move on from there. Yeah. Is this the P in uh, TULIP, the perseverance of the saints? The P in uh, TULIP, uh, TULIP being the five main points of uh, Calvinism, uh, uh, means that uh, God will keep on working in us. Mm. And God saves us, not once, but for all eternity. Yeah, Yeah. I like the idea here, he says that, that the justification is like, a, you know, it's it's a one-time act, right? And there, and God will never go back. And so there's this real change of our position, right? You know, and, and we go from, you know, being hostile and at odds with God to being friends and co-workers for the for the kingdom i like i just like the whole concept of it yeah and of course uh, even that can be troubling to people i talked about the story of Teresa of avila uh the great uh christian teacher a first woman declared a doctor in the church a teacher of the church mm-hmm. and uh, she read uh, about the saints that had been sinners before they became sin- saints. Yes, that's right. And she really liked that. She says, oh, I like this. I like yeah. these stories. But there's a problem. You know, they never relapse. You're right. <laughs> and I look at myself. I'm, I'm doing it all the time. Wait. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there's a problem here. Right. And then she realized, well, God's love is so great. You know, I, I don't have to doubt the love of God for me. I can yeah. doubt myself till the cows come home. Yeah. But I'll never doubt God's love for me. Well, there's some very important doctrines in this little section here on the forgiveness of sins, right? Absolutely. The uh, justification, forgiveness. Um, we talked to, in when we looked at the the Westminster, the propitiation was in there too. This idea, this transfer of righteousness given to us, not our righteousness, but the righteousness of Christ. Mystery upon mystery. Mm. Yes. Blessing upon blessing. Very good. Well, how should we pray today? Well, why don't we pray for everybody that's still struggling mm. with uh, the concept that God has actually forgiven them and given them a clean start and mm. that God really, really loves them. I think that would be good. Do you want to pray? Sure, let's pray. All right. Lord, we thank you for your deep and profound love for us, the joy you have in every one of our lives, because you love us. We ask that you would help people who struggle with wondering, have they done enough, or are they good enough for God, when really it's about you and your goodness and your great gift to us in your Son, our Savior, Jesus. So we pray that your Holy Spirit would assure all of us of your love that your forgiveness is real, and that you would help us day by day to follow you more faithfully, knowing and trusting that you love us completely. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.
Thank you, Bruce. Thank you, Kirk. <laughs> <laughs>